Hello, you're with Love of Learning, a podcast focused on transform, transforming the world through education and self-education. My name is Dejan Stanchev and I'm your host. Our brains are wired for connection. We need to feel loved, safe and cared for in order to thrive in our daily lives. It has been scientifically proven that when we feel connected, we live longer, healthier and happier lives. That is why creating deep connection with our children in a loving, compassionate and caring way is so important for their well-being when they become adults. The earlier we change and become good role models for our children, the better parenting experience we shall have and in this way raise children that will thrive, help others thrive and help our planet thrive too. Today, I have the pleasure to be, to be with Michael Larson, parent, family counselor and co-founder of Life Upgrade. He's helping parents connect with their children and in this way, fill in the love tank their children are missing. He's positively impacting lives by helping families reconnect and rebuild relationships. His work is his mission and what a better mission than helping children grow in a loving environment. Thank you, Michael, for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm grateful to be here. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. I, I appreciate that. It's thought, I think it's totally true for you. Thank you. I, I like what you're saying, that we should let our children be what they want to be and not to force ourselves on them. That is also the best approach, according to Rudolf Steiner, who says that up to seven years, we should not use force and anger and punishment on the child as we will, go, we will hurt the development of the etheric body and it will have an impact through the rest of the life. What do you think about it? I, I agree with that statement. All the um, readings and research that I have done is that first uh, seven years is pivotal for brain development. Um, the child is essentially the brain is a sponge absorbing everything around them. Um, they're, they're, especially their home environment, their parents, their caregivers. Uh, even if we don't think they're listening, they're listening and they're watching. And that's how their brain develops in almost how they're going to perceive, perceive interactions, relationships, are things safe, are things not safe? Yeah, so those first seven years are, are pivotal in terms of brain development and, and kind of how our child are going to develop. So, so maybe then is the key, it's very crucial before we have a child to straighten up our relationship with our partner. And Yes, uh, ideally, yes. We, <laughs> we, ideally, we want to, to plan when we're going to have children. Obviously, obviously, that does not happen all the time. Um, so I think people, yeah, we need to make sure that our relationship with our partner and that our home is in, in order and we're doing the best we can. Because, um, yeah, the, the child's listening, the child's watching. So it's very important how we're interacting with uh, the partner. And especially after we know that it's going to affect their entire life, we should be more careful. Yes. You're, yeah, yeah. You're saying we must parent ourselves to effectively parent our children. And I totally agree with this. We talked about it. And can you share your thoughts on how we should parent ourselves well to me when it comes down to parenting to I separate it into like effectively parenting opposed to emotionally parenting and what I mean by that is in in my experience and when I talk to other parents and work with other parents where we run into problems is when we we become emotional we become angry we become scared um, we become guilty and the list goes on and then we make these parenting decisions that we later come back to and we're like oh man what was I doing like that's no good and so we need to um looking within ourselves and figure out our own emotional triggers. We got to figure out our own past traumas, our own emotional baggage and ensure that we're not putting that on our children, that we're not passing our own stuff that we need to heal onto our children and expecting them 
to heal our stuff. We have to do that ourselves so we can show up for our, to our children and not be emotional. Okay, so, so basically we should be conscious about what we are doing. But uh, in, my, in my life, I haven't seen many people that are conscious. So how we should become conscious about our actions? Maybe it's like an exercise. We should always monitor what we're doing, monitor our yeah. thoughts. Yeah. yeah, I think it uh, it begins with the um, the willingness to change. That's where it starts. Um, behavioral change is not easy. Um, it to break habits to to break our patterns is not easy. But if we if we find a why and we discover the why, like why do I want to change, and that why becomes deep enough, we can change and we can be patient with ourselves. And then we we want to every day when we become emotionally triggered. Like if our child does something or there's a behavior we see and we become upset, we, we need to pause. And before you react, choose to respond and take a breather and look within yourself in that moment and ask yourself, why am I upset? Is it actually about my kids spilling this drink? Probably not. It most likely is you're stressed out about something else or you're having a bad day yourself. And that, that pause, that momentary moment is where we can choose to respond opposed to emotionally react. So basically stop for five seconds and then react. Yeah. Uh, or circle back, right? If, if, if there's something that has been done with, that our child's done that we feel frustrated or upset by, which it happens all the time. We want to not have a conversation with our child about that until we're ready. Because if we go in there fired up, it's mm -hmm. not going to go well. We, wanna, we can have that conversation a couple hours later. We can circle back the next day when we're in a better mindset and we're ready to show up where we're not where we're not emotionally charged up uh, about being more relaxed what i've recently found found out is that everything comes from a toxic liver and if we take care of our liver if we detox it and then we have a calmer mindset and a better thoughts and it's something i've experienced on myself so yeah i promote I, taking I, yeah i agree um that that is the the second part of it right is when we look, we just talked about looking into ourselves, looking at emotional intelligence. I'm a, when I work with parents, a big lot of work I do is on their stress management, their self-care. Because mm -hmm. if we're not taking care of ourselves, we're not doing those basics. Like you just mm -hmm. mentioned, like we all know about sleep and exercise and diet, but too many of us don't do it. Um, mm -hmm. And what we're doing is we're creating it, like you said, an imbalance in our body. Um, and, if we, to, and to take care of others, such as our children, we must take care of ourselves first. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with this. We need to be in a good mindset in order to be good parents. Uh, what is your parenting program covering? What needs does it solve? And can you share some cases with us? Yeah, so what, I, what I've been focusing a lot of my energy on is um, taking parents to a, a powerful parenting program. And it's 12 weeks long. And that's pretty much the minimum I could make it with that thinking that because it takes time to change, right? And some people think if you have one session or something, you're going to fix something. Okay. It, it's not that easy because you need to be accountable. It takes time to change habits. So what I do in that 12 weeks is I, I give people tools and effective parenting strategies. So a foundation. Um, and we focus week to week on different topics, such as parenting style, communication, connection, how to discipline, how the brain works, uh, the brain development, uh, teaching ourselves about emotions, teaching our children about emotions. Then we cover things like the teenage years, we look into complex needs because sometimes our children have complex needs. They may be diagnosed with something. Um, we, and we look at things like trauma um, and the list goes on. So in that 12 weeks, I essentially are providing a effective foundation of tools and strategies that, that work. And I know they work 
because after years of experience with children, I, and I've seen children change. And when we talked about the brain earlier, the, the cool part about the brain is science has proved that it, we can rewire it. So it, it gives us optimism, right? The, the, the old school belief was like, well, it's just the way it is. That's, but no, we can, we can rewire the brain. We can, if we change the environment. So as a parent, if we change how we parent, it's, a, it's a, like miraculous what can happen with our children. They can, they can change so much as well. So how we can rewire the brain of the child? Is by focusing on ourselves and changing the environment. And, and the environment I mean is the parent-child relationship. So we, beneath everything in parenting, and in my program, I go back to this with parents all the time, is when you go into any inter interaction with your child, any challenge, anything that comes up, the parent-child relationship, that secure attachment is the most important thing. Does that, can that child trust you? Does that child trust that you're not going to yell at them, shame them, blame them, punish them, use your power to control them? Is that child willing to um, tell you what's really going on in their life? Because too often what happens is children hide the truth from their parents because they're scared. And the problem with that is if your child's not coming to you with their problems, they're probably talking to a peer about it and the peer is probably not giving them the best advice. So as a, to, to rewire the brain, we want to teach our children what is safe, that they can trust is that we're not going to emotionally react to them, that we're going to not criticize them. We're going to be curious and stuff like that. So, Okay, so basically first build the trust and mm -hmm. act, act, act like a friend, yes, not like a the, parent. Yes, because the brain, it, when we have trauma or different things with our brain, uh, we need to know that we're safe. The only way the brain can heal, rewire, is safety. Because um, if we don't feel safe, what happens is we end up in uh, our survival mode or fight, flight, or freeze, which is our stress response. That, and that's what the brain does. That's we're designed to stay safe as humans. So if our children are, if our children are stuck in survival mode, scanning for threats, they're unable to be creative. They're unable to use problem solving skills. They're unable to find their own passion to be creative. Like all those things are kind of put on pause if they're living in a home where they're scared if their mom or dad's going to yell at them. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. I wish there are more homes like that. <laughs> mm, that, that is my mission. That is my program is helping parents to, um, to transform their homes and provide an environment where children feel safe and they can flourish. That's, that's an amazing mission. Can, can you give some uh, homeschooling tips, how to be effective in our homeschooling, especially in the current times? Yes. Well, right now, obviously the, the pandemic, a lot of people are homeschooling, remote learning, whatever you want to call it. And that is not by choice. It's by, we have to do what we got to do. So my homeschooling tips, because I have a lot of experience homeschooling when I used to foster children is number one, we're not focusing on the grades right now. We're, we're not, we're not putting pressure on our children or ourselves for our children to get great grades. And the reason why is because, well, number one, Great grades aren't that important anyways. And I know some people may be what, but it's not. But especially right now, what's important right now is psychological, emotional health, or, you know, our mental health. And so when we're doing homeschooling with our children, we want to focus on that relationship with them. And we want it to be as gentle as it can be. And we want to set them up to succeed, not to fail. So when we're looking at scheduling, we're looking at doing things. We don't want to bring school home. Like you're not, you're not trying to replicate the school environment in your house. What I encourage parents to do is get creative, talk to your children. What are they curious about? How can you make this fun? How can you make this enjoyable? And yes, there's some work you have to do that they have to do, but you can tell them straight up, like that's the boring stuff and I'll help you get through that. And then let's get into some fun stuff. And that's the way I look at homeschooling for parents is trying to tell them like, let's switch our mindset and look at this as instead of being forced to do this and this is horribly hard, let's look at how we can make this 
fun, how we can help our children learn skills they won't learn in school, such as emotional skills, social skills, stuff like that. And, and how we can make it fun. How, how can, well, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, so first off, sit down and tell your, ask your child what you want this to look like. And um, that, first of all, that gives your child a say, it gives them power, it makes them feel involved. Um, are you going to necessarily do exactly what they say? No, because you're, as you work as a team with your child, you're the leader because you're the parent. But you sit down together and develop a schedule together. You, you, parents will be amazed when you give your child an actual say in the plan that they won't be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to sit and play Xbox. So they know they, they'll actually participate and they'll design a pretty good plan uh, because they feel powerful being able to do that with you. And then to make it fun is figuring out what they're curious about, like actually asking your child, what do you want to learn about? Because in school, that doesn't happen, right? The teacher doesn't come in and say, hey, guys, what do you want to learn about today? It's this is what we're going to learn about. You like it or you don't. But we have more power now when we at home with our children to explore what their curiosity is about the world around them. I bet you they have a lot of questions and they have a lot of things they want to research and different things. You can do projects um, and make and do all that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. So basically find out what they are passionate about and mm -hmm. get them, get them involved. And in this way, we are going to help them uh, find their true purpose, I think, which is the key to help sure. the yeah, because you, you find your, your true purpose, for, for example, helping parents getting connected, but uh, I'm not, I'm not sure that most of the people have found their true purpose at all. No, and I think and that's a part of the problem is that a lot mm. of people are doing jobs that they don't like. Um, yes. and, and they're waking up, they're waking up in the morning, dreading going to work. They're going to sleep at night, dreading getting up the next day. And, and we have this mindset that, oh, it's just the way it is. No. And, I, and I don't think it is. Yeah. And I can see you agree with me. So it's great to have a like-minded individual that yeah, I think mm -hmm. we can, we all have a gift. We all have a purpose. We all have something inside of us that makes us feel good, that we're passionate about. And everyone's and different. It, yes, exactly. Everyone's different. Like some people are passionate about making bread. Some people are passionate about helping others in like in a medical setting. Like it doesn't matter what it is. You can be passionate about building houses. Like one's not better than the other. And that's where I think we become and we get into competition as a society. But I think it's just about finding what you want to do with your time. So, yeah. So in my opinion, the, the biggest thing you can teach your child is to help him find his or her's true passion at yes. an early age. And what, what happens too often is a parent um, is raising their child to be like a mini me version of themselves, mm. or they already have a predetermined plan for their child from the age of two and up what they're going to do. And that's not okay. That needs, that needs to be a mindset shift because your child is an individual. They're separate than, than us. Yes. We brought them into this world, but they didn't ask us to bring us into the world. So they're, they're a separate individual. We have to allow them to develop their own personality and figure out what they want to do. And, and I think uh, a lot of parents, their mindset is that the children belong to them. No, they don't belong to them. Yes, you're, I think you're right. It's like a possession kind of way. No. So what, what subjects do you teach at home apart of the usual maths and science? I mean, like uh, free subjects. Yeah, so we, we have to, like I said earlier, you have to do the mandatory, um, the math and science. But when we look at reading and writing, we're using our reading and writing, looking into exploring things that uh, the kids want to explore. So we had this philosophy book. Um, like my children are eight and 10. So I bought this philosophy book and essentially I read to them and they would read to me. And as we did this philosophy book, it would ask questions about the world, about why is this, why is that? 
And then they would end up, well, okay, well, what's this answer? And I said, well, this is what I think, but there's other answers out there. So we would research then, right? So then it's like, okay, go on the computer, let's research, let's find out more about this. And it was basically, you're, you're almost just connecting the dots and letting the learning um, create itself. And then before you know it, it's two hours later and your children have read, they've written, they've learned some knowledge, they, they feel good about themselves and it just creates such a great environment. Nice. It's really nice to get them involved and and show them that there there's different way of thinking apart of the parents. Yes, and they'd really enjoy children of all ages. The idea that I get to go out and find information, collect information, and then make up my mind what my own opinion is. Not be told what to think, not be told what to memorize, but be able to be curious and come up with your own thoughts and your own opinions based on information that you're receiving. And maybe that's why that's one of the ways we raise uh, critical thinkers and creativity. For sure. Yeah. Um, because often when I talk to parents who are fighting with their teens a lot, it's mostly because the teens are challenging them on their beliefs and saying, well, are you, mm. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that belief. The parent becomes angry. But when I talk to the parent and ask them, where did this belief come from? Well, my, I just picked it up from my parents when I was younger. So then I'm thinking, then I asked them, well, is that something that you really went out and researched? Did you really determine if that's the best thing to do? Oh, no, I was just told it. So then what I'm helping parents discover is these ideas have been passed down generation to generation. And something that someone did in 1850, we probably shouldn't be doing in 2020, right? It's like, like times like the, have changed. Yes, like the current educational system, which was founded in 1905, and now we are 2020. Exactly. Maybe, maybe there is something that needs to be changed there. I think so. I think there is definitely something that can be changed and tweaked. Uh, we have a lot of institutions that have served us well in the past, but if we look, if we take a hard look at the world right now, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of issues outside the pandemic. And the pandemic has just raised a lot of things to the surface that was already there. Um, I think a lot of institutions were kind of barely hanging on depending on where you're, where you're living. So, Can we just uh, again explain me how to do effective parenting against emotional parenting and what are the benefits? Yeah, we could. Yeah. So when I look at, so we can talk about components of it. So when I, when when we talk about working as a team, I mentioned that earlier is you're, you're switching your mindset as a parent, instead of you being the boss and the child is just a student or an employee of yours, essentially, who just listens to everything you say. It's like, no, we, you work as a team. You're the leader, but you sit down. You talk to them, you include them in the process of the rules and different things. And you let them know the reason for the rules and um, the stuff like that is for structure and safety and for health. It's not because you're trying to control them. So then when a child asks why, and we don't say, because I said so, that is not effective parenting. That is emotional parenting. That is you not wanting to take the time to explain to your child the reasoning behind your decision, or perhaps you don't even know the reason behind your decision. So you're just saying, because I said so. So we must give our child a voice. And to me, that's effective parenting is letting our child be heard. Um, they're a human being who wants their, to be heard. They want to be felt like they're special, that their, uh, their opinions are important, that they are smart. Um, so we start working as a team. And that's the, big, that's the biggest shift is switching that mindset from boss to team. Yeah, I like, I like this answer. Because in, get, team, in team, we work better. Yes, for sure. And, and if te- what you're doing as, sent- as well as teaching your child these skills mm. that they need to work with others. And what a better place to teach that than the parent-child relationship. 
And if you have a healthy relationship where your child is learning to get along with you and learning that they can't have their say and you can't have your say, but you guys are meeting in the middle. And what is, that is what life is when we talk about relationships. It's, they're essentially an exchange of information and we're trying to come to some type of an agreement in this relationship where we can both flourish. We both feel heard. We both feel like we're getting our needs met. Um, and that's when people have a healthy relationship and they feel connected. Okay, and, and now the next question is then how we can raise our own emotional intelligence to be effective parents. Yes, so what you can do is you, you got to find some material and you got to make room to receive new information. So the first, you, you have to tell yourself, I don't know everything, I'm not perfect, because none of us are, uh, myself included. Every day, I'm seeing if I can learn something new. If I've received new information, I'm prepared to let go of an old belief. I'm prepared to change my mind. It's not about right or wrong. And that's where we get in that mindset. A lot of us, especially as adults, it's right or wrong. Or, and we look for ways to disagree opposed to ways to um, compromise. So that starts with that. So when you find this material, you find resources, you want to find some good books or some good stuff and just collect information. Then you're going to find who clicks with you. Cause there's a lot of stuff out there. There's so much stuff. out there. There's probably too much stuff out there right now in terms of Google. So you want to be careful who you're following. Are you following someone who's just an Instagram influencer? Or are you following someone who's done some research, who has some background, who has the uh, credentials to support their, what they're saying. And then, then you're going to tell yourself that I'm going to start this process and you're going to have to be intentional about it. I encourage people to write down, um, keep track of your goals, keep track of what you're trying to address. Um, and just work on yourself on a daily basis. I also think that we should be growing every day. We should be growing. We should be learning. We should become our better version of ourselves, but without yeah. without applying pressure. Yes. And always forgive ourselves when we make mistakes. Yes, we're allowed to make mistakes. You very we're well humans. said. Yeah, we're humans. Yes. And we will make mistakes. So if you make a mistake, you can't give up on the process of upgrading your emotional intelligence um, because it takes time. It's, it's a lifelong journey um, to, to evolve. And just it's all about becoming the best, best version of yourself, not becoming someone else, not becoming this idea of some, that this is going to make me happy. You got to let go of that and just work on yourself and work on your emotional triggers. And, and you know, and a lot of it is healing which a lot of adults, we were, especially on the men's male side, well, we shouldn't cry and we sh shouldn't do this <laughs> yes. and we got to be strong. And that stuff causes so much damage. A lot of the healing and the, a lot of the emotional intelligence upgrading, if you really go into it, if you is, you're going to have some stuff that's going to come up, that's going to be painful and going to mm -hmm. be uncomfortable, but we must realize we must get un uncomfortable to make change. I think crying, crying is good because this yes. way the soul purifies. Totally agree with you. Crying is how the body heals. That is our way the body releases emotions. Um, and we, yep. emotions. Um, and we become, there's so many physical health problems out there connected to stress and the suppression of emotions. So when we look at emotional intelligence, that's a strong component of it is the willingness to feel sadness, to feel anger, to feel fear but then what do you do with those in a, in a healthy way uh, yes feel them and but not numb, numb them with alcohol or drugs yes or netflix or shopping or, or <laughs> yes. eating yes 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 eating <laughs> okay so how to deal with rules and consequences and in the same time be effective parents without punishment 
So how do we enforce rules, limits yes. without punishment? Yes. Yeah, good question. Um, so this is where a lot of parents, when I, when I put out, you know, there's lots of terms out there now, positive parenting, gentle parenting. I use powerful parenting. And people sometimes think, oh, you just let your kids do whatever they want. And no, 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 that's, no, no. that's not it. That's not it. You're not just letting them free every day at the age of five and saying, figure it out. So what discipline is, it starts with the definition of discipline. So if you look at the definition of the discipline, there's two definitions out there. The one is to force people to obey through force, to control. So if you look at like the justice system, that would be the idea of putting someone in jail for 10 years, and then they're going to learn to be a better person when they get out. Or you look at there's discipline as rehabilitation, as teaching. So when we look at our children, you're not punishing them to to teach them a lesson. Taking away their their toy is not going to teach them what you want to teach them. Discipline is teaching. So as a parent, it's twofold. You're the role model, number one. So you teach by what you do. Your children watch you more than they listen to you. So the way you act every day. So for example, if you're telling your child to get off their device, but you're on your device all day, that <laughs> makes no sense to the child. That's hypocritical. So they don't understand the message you're telling them. So we must teach through leading by example. How are we talking to them? How are we talking to our partner? How do we handle stress? How do we handle our feelings? How do we manage our day? How do we eat? How do we sleep? How do we exercise? So teaching is role modeling. And then it's a focus on teaching skills. And that is communication. So to me, the consequence, the punishment is to the child is to talk, to talk to them about what you just saw and why you don't think it's okay and teaching them an alternative to do next time. So if your child, so often throughout my years of fostering and parenting now, I'm hitting a pause button essentially on the day. So if we're doing a game or if we're playing Xbox or if we're outside or doing this or doing that, if something happens where I think, ooh, that wasn't, someone might be a little emotionally dysregulated. I'm pausing everything and I'm checking in and saying, let's have a chat. Um, so that to me, that's discipline is, ch- is talking and finding out the reason why your child did that behavior. Okay, nice. I'll, I'll try to apply this. I'll try to apply this, I promise. <laughs> yes. So, so you have been a foster parent, a single parent, a co-parent and a step parent. And you say that you use the same parenting strategies with all the different children in all the different parenting scenarios. Yeah. And uh, how can the same parenting strategy work with all the children? And what are the main five bullet points of it? Well, it it works because it goes back to what we talked about earlier. I'm focusing on what I can control. And the only thing I can control is myself. I can't control what my child's going to do. I can't control what the, the world's going to do to the child outside the home. I can't control what their friends are going to do. What I can control is how I show up as a parent. And if I focus on myself and being open-minded, being curious rather than critical, um, not assuming I know why they did something, but asking the questions to find out why they did that. Um, when I look at, when I focus on behaviors, not random, so there's always a reason behind the behavior the behavior is just a symptom of the root cause of this. The child most likely doesn't know how to use the words to express why they're feeling angry, sad, or scared, or et cetera. Um, and also realizing if something's not working, this is the key here is in any situation, no matter, no matter of age, no matter of child's background or behaviors, whatever, every situation, if something's not working, if I'm not getting the results that I want to see in terms of behavioral changes, I'm, folk, I'm changing and readjusting something I'm doing. I'm not trying to force the child to readjust or change something they're doing. I'm always starting the process with myself and I'm thinking, how can I adapt? How can I be flexible? How can I change 
what I'm doing to better communicate with this child, to better give this child what they're looking for. So again, self-improvement. Yes. Self-improvement is the focus key. On our, focus on ourselves and be consistent. We, we, if a parenting style strategy, you got to give it time and you got to give it time for you to, to adapt to it, to make your changes and then give time for your child to change. Because too often I talk to parents where they're like, well, I've tried everything. And then you talk to them and they've tried like 10 different strategies within a month. And that's not effective. Um, that's emotions. That's you just getting worked up and doing all types of things. A child needs time to, to adjust to the environment. So basically consistency in the same strategy. Mm -hmm. so, so, so yeah, for sure. Yeah. For, for example, my son is still picking up in his nose and then he's eating mm -hmm. and I'm yeah. still saying the same thing. It's not, it's not okay. It's not okay. But he's still continuing and, and I try, I, I think whether I should start be more angry or should I continue the same way? Well, he still hasn't given up his habits. I don't know yeah, how so to approach it. <laughs> you tried some different things, right? Um, so yeah, I would, you just want to teach him why it's not okay and why it's unsafe, right? Right. It's unsafe in terms of like germs and stuff. So you want to give him that knowledge. And then it's just going to be repetition of every time you catch him doing it. Uh, I would encourage instead of going in there and saying, don't do that, say, hey, I noticed that you just did that again. And I'm wondering, did you realize you were doing it? Did you do it by accident? Did you do it on purpose? Is, are you nervous about something? Is something stressing you out? Because maybe that habit is like uh, something's going on in his mind where he's, it's like almost a self-soothing or a, almost a subconscious behavior. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I think it's a subconscious behavior now. Yes. <laughs> And that's often with um, picking the nose is a good example of young kids. I, it's, that's often a self-soothing uh, mechanism. Um, uh, touching okay. of the nose, touching of the face. Uh, it's like something uh, is going on internally that we're subconsciously trying to soothe ourselves. Okay. Okay. I think it makes sense. So uh, what are the core emotional needs as of a child and how can we fulfill them? Well, the, the, the main needs that I, I think are is, am I enough? Am I worthy? Am I accepted as I am? And am I important? Do I matter essentially? So those are the, the needs that I think children have, us as adults have. These are the constantly every day we're looking for someone to accept us for who we are, not for what we do. And if we just praise our children only when they win something or they get a good grade, they're, they're learning that they're only important or they're only special when they do an action. But the key is on a regular day, every day, to let them know as much as we can, like, man, you have a lot of awesome qualities. Man, I'm really impressed with, like, you inspire me. Like, you really, the way you did that, the way you were resilient, the way you were creative, like, that's inspiring to me. And I, I'm fascinated watching you as a parent. Like, you're teaching me as much as I'm teaching you. And, and letting them know they matter is when we talked earlier about giving them a voice and, like, bringing them in and say, hey, let's have a family talk. I'm, I want to know what you're thinking. Like, I'm trying to make a decision about school or about device time. And I'm really, I want to know, like, how can we do this? And I want, I want to know your opinion because I know you have a lot of good thoughts. And just like that. And that, that's like, those are those core needs that we want to focus on filling up. So if we do that, the emotions will come with that, the confidence, the self-esteem, the ability to realize that a child, we can, they can handle challenges, that they're resilient, that they can be knocked down and they can get back up. Okay. So basically give, give them, giving them our intention and our sincere interest. 
of what they're yes. doing despite if there's it's super good or it's not that good just acknowledge yes. what they do and praise them and make them feel worthy yes the uh, science and research has proven that um, the, as i think we mentioned earlier the brain we're looking for su survival mode as humans right we're looking for threats so often the mind the mind focuses on the negative just same with the child so we need we need as a parent we need to provide at least five positive experiences for every negative one and often that's a huge problem for a lot of parents is because they spend all day telling their kids what to do pick this up do this do your homework go to bed shower do this so you're basically all day long just telling your child what to do but you're not providing positive experiences to offset that so it's, it leaves your child thinking i can't do anything right my parent always has to tell me what to do they're always correct to me and they they start to beat themselves up and they lose self-esteem they develop low confidence um, but it's we need to have those positive experiences of connection and building them up and five to one so we every time we say something negative we have to intentionally say something positive five times so that's a big mindset shift that's a lot yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a total change of of the approach because most of the people i think they're negatively yeah negatively charged and exactly focus on negativity and especially in today's world yeah it's a difficult change yeah yeah so how mindfulness and being present can help us with building a better connection mm -hmm. yeah so uh i think we often as uh, parents we uh, rate our days based on productivity uh, what can we get done off our to-do list uh, did we get our kids to their activities on time? Like this was, you know, based if we're not on lockdown in the pandemic, but yeah, we based it on productivity. Like, can we produce productive children? Can we be productive? I think we got to scrap that mentality and focus on just being present. So regardless of what we're doing. So like we're sitting here right now on this podcast, I'm not simultaneously on my phone or thinking about something else. I'm focused on just this. And then when we get off this podcast, I'll move to the next step and focus on that. So as parents with our children, Focus on being present with them, not on the next task they have to do or rushing them through their homework so they can do the next task. Sit there when they're doing their homework, put your phone away and sit there and engage with them. Ask them about their homework, be present with them. When they're playing, go and play with them and don't play and be worried about the dishes or the laundry. Really focus on just being present and playing with them and enjoying the moment and being more childlike. So freedom is a fundamental human need and how can we give our children the sense of freedom while minim minimizing the risk that comes with it? For example. So how, so yeah. how do we give our children freedom to make choices and do things without yes, the yes. Risk, risk involved? Yes. That's, a good, that's a good question because a lot of us parents, um, we become, a, I think the term is helicopter parenting where we're always hovering, we're over top of them and we're, and we're almost like, so the example I'll use, if you have a three-year-old running around, if you're chasing the three-year-old and moving chairs out of the way, and putting down mattresses in case they fall. That is, that's being overprotective. That is not letting your child have the freedom to explore. Like obviously there's, you wanna put away sharp objects, corners and stuff, but you gotta let that three-year-old run. And if they fall, it's okay. They'll get hurt, but they'll get back up. So as they get older, it's the same thing. Allowing our children to make mistakes, not trying to control. Because unless our child goes through some challenges, unless they have those experiences where they make mistakes, they're not, they're not gonna really learn. Because They're not growing. We, yeah. Exactly. The way we grow, the way we learn is through errors. It's through failing. And it's not failing. It's not a permanent thing. We may fail at something temporarily, but then we just learn a, another approach at that task or learn a different strategy. So in that case, should we create challenges for them to make them grow? 
Yes, I, I believe when you want to have in terms of rules, in terms of expectations, in terms of school, in terms of chores, responsibility, the list goes on. You want to set them up to succeed, not to fail, but you also want to set them up that it's challenging, that it's not super easy, that, that so they're always challenging themselves and developing and focusing. And the key too is teaching our children, you have all these strengths and making sure you list their strengths, but teaching them that these you might you have some weaknesses as well just like i do nobody's perfect and we have to put energy on our weaknesses as well we can't just put energy on our strengths because then our weaknesses would remain weak mm -hmm. and that's how we become a whole human being because i think too many of us avoid things that aren't easy or, or that are too hard for us and we just focus on what's easy so we got to help our children at a young age realize that it's good to have a challenge it's good to tackle something that's not easy from the get-go um, if, if there is one behavior that would improve parent-child connection and you can recommend this to every parent, uh, what would it be? Well, the one thing to recommend to every parent. Yeah. Um, or two. Well, the number one, so circle back to the parent-child relationship. So everything you do, every decision you make as a parent is secondary to that parent-child relationship. So does your child understand why you're doing what you're doing? Do they, under, do they believe that you love them unconditionally and that your decision, whether they like it or not, is you trying because you care for them and before and because you love them? Once your child realizes that, that makes things 100 times easier. So, so they need to feel loved and cared. But, and we all say we love and care children. I believe we all do. But we all, and we, that term unconditionally, I think too many of us don't understand what that means. We have to... Re, take away the conditions. So like if your child doesn't brush their teeth and you get mad at them and scream at them, they're going to probably feel like, well, do you not love me just because I didn't brush my teeth? Like that's, that's not a, that's not an effective response. That's damaging that parent child relationship. So you should explain it in a calm way and by go yeah. together, brush the teeth together. Yeah. And if we do snap on them, which happens, and I, I become emotional as well. I'm not a robot, so I can make mistakes as a parent as well. All you need to do, and this is important as well, is apologize. Mm. It is healthy and it is a great thing to do is to apologize to our children when we make mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that's role modeling. That's teaching them that it's okay to make mistakes and that will give them that, go back to that freedom to do things without worrying about the consequences of not getting something right. So how do you, how do you approach gaming in a good way and without punishment? Should we have like a one, two hours of gaming and should we stop our devices like two hours before sleep? Yeah, so uh, the devices, it's a tricky one because the devices are out of control. We, I think we all kind of know that uh, in 2020 right now that there's so much addiction to devices. Um, social media, for example, is very, can be very damaging to teenage children. Um, the, it, mental health, anxiety, depression, suicide, all that stuff is up. The stats prove that it coincides with technology with the use of phones. So we have to be aware as parents that there's a, there's a legitimate risk here. There's a legitimate concern and it's, and we need to be on top of it. So from, we want to teach them balance, right? And we can let her, and I, what I do with my children or what I did with teenage children is I don't want to restrict your device use and take things away, but I will do that if I find you can't control yourself and you can't moderate yourself. So working as a team and I think for device time, I think an hour at a time is plenty. Then, then it's time for a break. It's time to do something else. Um, 
So that's the way I look at it is one hour is probably plenty for doing a game uh, or, or cruising social media or whatever you want to call it. And then you can go find something else because you need to balance out your day. Um, and I think it's about teaching the positives and using devices for positives. I think there is a lot of positive and a lot of healthy things that can come out of gaming. It's fun. It can be enjoyable. Same with social media. So as a parent, it's about being present and being on top of it from the start. Because if you give a phone to a kid and then all of a sudden a month later you look on there and you're mad because they were looking up stuff they shouldn't, that's not on the kid. That's on you because you didn't sit down and take the time to talk about mm -hmm. internet safety, to talk about social media safety, to talk about gaming safety, to talk about chatting to people, the dangers of people being strangers and pretending to be someone else. Um, so, yeah. I, I think phones and social media are so addictive and, yes. and giving them in the hands of children from early age is very very damaging I agree. and I, I don't know i don't know what's the how we, how we should be approached uh, maybe maybe edu educating the child to be more resilient to things like that but again and everyone it, is I doing it yeah and that's the thing is we have to get away from this idea that oh everyone's doing it so i got i have to let my kid do it no you don't you, you don't have to let your kid do what other kids are doing like that old expression if everyone's jumping off the bridge would you jump off a bridge no oh. So when it comes to devices, lead by example. If you're sitting on your phone or iPad all day or watching TV all day, you can't, you can't tell your child not to because you're doing it. So as once again, we go back to as a parent, lead by example, include your child, go for walks together, exercise together, read together, play together, do all this stuff together. And if you're doing all these things together, it's going to leave a lot less time to even use devices. That was going to be my next question. Uh, what should be our primary activity of connecting as a family in the teenage years? For example, having family meetings, playing board games together, having a book club. What is your experience that works? Maybe all? All are good, but the number one thing is to take an interest in what your teen likes, even if you don't like it. So if they're, do if they're into something where you aren't, have never been into, this is an opportunity for you as a parent to explore something new. To go in there in a curious mind and ask your teen, hey, can you tell me about that? Can you show me about that? And through that process of, of doing that, it's just you've developed such a great connection because the teen's like, wow, like my parent really cares about me and really cares about what I'm doing. And like we'll use YouTube for an example, right? Like so let's say a teen's in YouTube. As long as they're using it in moderation, you can watch YouTube videos, even if you even if you think they're silly or not even like that, that is taking an interest in what they have an interest in. And in those moments of whatever you're doing with your team, conversations will be sparked, right? And there'll be moments where you can talk to them about different things and you can talk about what's healthy, what's not, and different things like that. But yeah, board games, walking, all that stuff's good. But I think it's important to take an interest in what our children like. Yes. So we've had to, we've had to learn to live differently this year. And how are the teenagers and children and the parents affected by the 2020 pandemic? Well, I believe it's really hurt a lot of people. Um, it's really damaged a lot of people in terms of mental health uh, for teens and for parents. I think a lot of people weren't doing so good before the pandemic. And when they were barely hanging on as it was, and then all of a sudden uh, this pandemic comes in and takes away so much, right? So our teens, our children, ourselves as parents, we've experienced so many losses 
like not even outside the death and the risk of the the virus um it's these emotional losses of routine of seeing friends of going to going to this place doing this like life has been turned upside down so all of a sudden we're trying to figure out what to do and as the as families spend time together i hear too often in it and it makes me wonder what's going on. These families and parents complaining that their kids are at home and that they're at home and being upset about all this time that they're all of a sudden spending because they're fighting opposed to having this mindset of, wow, life has slowed down and I don't have to go to work and my children don't have to go to school. So all of a sudden we're together eight hours more a day. Mm. And what can we, can, what can we do with that eight hours? Um, so that, that I think is the damaging thing is people are, becoming stressed out about everything and then they're emotionally fighting within the home and then they're not even and then they're mad at each other and they don't want to spend time together and it's just creating a lot of fractures within the home and domestic violence is up depression is up suicide is up because these homes are in, in essentially imploding from the inside out so that is i think what's happening with the with the pandemic and i really think people need to um reach out for help and reach out for support and, you know, really get on top of things before their home, their family kind of goes down a really bad road. Um, I have friends that really enjoy this, this, this lockdown because they have more time with their family mm -hmm. and they have the different approach. They have more time with their children. Yeah. And it's just a change of mindset, I think. You it, don't need it, to commute. Yes, exactly. And it, it, we've talked lots today about mindset and yes, we need to make room for the losses, like I just said, and the stress and allow us to feel that anxiety, the stress and all that. But yeah, then that's the mindset of shifting from the negative to what can I do with this? What can I do every day that's going to help me feel better? What's going to send signals from my into my brain that I'm okay, that I'm safe, that I'm happy? Um, and that is spending time, like you just said, with our family. In a positive way, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how do you take care of yourself both physically and mentally and what are your daily habits and morning routines if you have any so every day i try to do a few different things i don't do them necessarily every day because no one's perfect but this is something i've established for a while so every day i exercise so every day i uh, lately i've been into lifting weights um sometimes i'm into other things but that's what i've been into lately so every day I'm, i want to exercise at least once every day i get outside so every day i want to get outside fresh air sunlight so, you know, that good stuff. Every day I have a smoothie. So every day I have a smoothie with a bunch of fruit, with uh, chia seed, hemp seed, uh, fla flax seed, like a super smoothie, a protein powder. So I'm trying, and every day I'm having a salad. So I'm getting my vegetables. And every day I'm drinking lots of water. Uh, and every day, the, my biggest struggles at night, my challenge is, because when my kids go to bed and me and my partner want to spend time together with, but... I also need to sleep. So that's right. That's every day where I'm trying to get enough sleep. But I often find myself staying up probably an hour too late. But those are just a few habits I do every day that I notice if I don't do them, I don't feel as good. Of course, of course. Physical activity is key and nutrition is key as well. Yeah. So what I've learned is if you, the bet the purer foods you put into your body, the better and purer emotions you have and thoughts. Mm -hmm. and it's interconnected yes and it's a good start it's a good start if you want to have better better life yeah most definitely and, and then the other thing i do every day is i'm i ensure that i'm balanced uh, i'm ensure that because I, I am growing my business and i'm passionate about my business mm -hmm. but i'm also passionate about spending time with my partner 
I'm also passionate about spending time with my children. So I try to every day make sure that I'm balanced in those three areas. Um, and I let my children know, hey, you let, let me know if I'm on my phone too much working and let me know if I'm you if we haven't spent enough time together. And, and so they come to me and they'll let me know. It's like, hey, you've been working for two hours. And then I'll say, OK. And that's like a good reminder for me to to go back and spend time with with my with my family. It's good to have this connection so they can take you out of work and relax. Yeah. Uh, what was the time when you started working on your vision for helping parents and children? And why did you decide to do this? Um, well, I uh, had worked for about 15 years with children um, and, I'm, and I'm, a, I'm a youth advocate. So I've always been like from a young, from my early 20s when I started working with kids trying to figure out wait, like what is going on here and why are kids struggling? And because I was working in a jail where children were ending up in jail and I was trying to figure out like, what's going on here? Like why are like 12 year old kids are ending up in jail? Like, this isn't okay. So when I explored and I talked to the children, I realized the environment that they're in is not giving them a chance, isn't giving them a chance to have a, a life of happiness. They're experiencing so much trauma. So they end up in gangs and different things or committing crimes or in broken homes. So when I, that's how I had the idea to have my foster home. So I wanted to give a different environment. So when I fostered these children, I, I, they had great improvements, great changes. So I'm like, okay. So I really, I knew for sure that the way I developed a parent that these children, if you change the environment, so nature versus nurture, if you give some nurturing that the children can thrive. So then I had to shut down my home for various reasons. Personally, it was, and then I ended up, trying to figure out what to do next. Uh, so I was working in a school and just trying to figure out what's my next step. I, I knew I wanted to do something bigger and working with kids in the school again, reminded me like when I sat and talked to them that the problems they're having in school weren't because they weren't mad at the teacher or the subject, there was stuff going on at home. So I would sit with them and listen. And they tell me about the stuff that happened the night before with their parents and that stuff, that fight, the way the child, their child, parents spoke to them interfered the next day at school. So I'm thinking, Okay, I got to do something. So then I heard about life coaching and counseling and people, it's becoming this industry where people, it seems like almost everybody's a coach now. I think that's a bit of a problem. I think there's too many coaches out there. So I thought, so this is my, I'm like, I can work with parents. I can teach parents how to effectively parent. And therefore, ultimately I'm helping children. So I'm helping children by helping the parents. So when parents talk to me now, often it's like, hey, can you, can you fix my kid? I'm like, whoa. I can't fix your kid, but what I can do, I can work with you. I can work with your kid and I can work with you as a family and help you guys get to get along better. That, that's amazing. I, I think before in the time when the mother and the father go to, to, uh, to the hospital, when, when the mother is pregnant, they should also go to classes for parents. Yes. Why, why is something like that is not there by the government? I know, and, I, and I've talked about this lots, and it's, it's crazy to me, because depending where you live, everything you need, a license for this, a license, training for this, education for this, but yeah. no, there's no, there's no parenting school. No. There, there's no, and to me, what is, what is more important than the job of raising our children? Like, what other mission can we take on as a human being that would be more important? To me, nothing is. Um, I don't think work is more important than raising your children. I don't think so, because I, I, if you look at the world as a whole, why do people end up doing hurting people is because they're hurting themselves. So if, if we, if we have children who are leaving homes hurting and feeling bad about themselves, all they're doing is ending up hurting other people. So as the parents, it is vital. It is key that we are providing a home 
where our children are emotionally doing well. So when they go out in the world, they're spreading kindness opposed to spreading anger and hate. One of your approaches, you talk with your children about everything, good, bad, everything. Some parents are hiding the bad stuff behind to shield the child. Mm -hmm. What is the best approach? Um, I think it's important to, to tell our children the, the truth, um, age dependent, of course. Um, and I'll use the, the pandemic, for example, that's the big talk, COVID-19. So if you have the news on 24-7 and you're telling your kid, kids every day that people are dying and this virus is killing everyone, you're going too hard. That, that is too extreme. <laughs> But if you're also pretending to your children that everything's fine and like, oh, we're just at home because we want to be at home and oh, the virus is not really doing anything, that's also the other extreme. The middle ground would be to educate your children and have conversations with them and tell them the truth and tell them that there's currently a virus going around that is really contagious, that's really affecting people. And a lot of people with pre-existing medical conditions, elderly are dying. So it's important for us to do our part to, to keep ourselves safe and to keep others safe. Um, so that would be having those real talks and letting them know what's going on. But then you don't have to talk about it all the time. You, but you let them know if they have more questions, if they have comments to come to you because you don't want them hearing stuff from the news or from social media. And the other piece conversations too is we got to be we got to get comfortable being uncomfortable so as our kids get older we need to be able to talk to them about sex and drugs and alcohol and all that stuff that is going on uh violence in the world uh you know all that stuff that we need to be able to talk to them about the reality and the truth of what is happening in the world so that they're able to come to us and feel that it's safe so when they're when they're out with their peers or wherever else and something happens they know they can come to you and talk to you about it and then be like hey this happened and i don't really know what that was about can you can i can you help me figure that out okay okay if, if you could change something in the current education system what would you do would you introduce uh, emotional intelligence or something else and how will the children learn best well change one thing there's so many things to change yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. the that's the thing I, i think you i think you touched on it there um emotional intelligence is something we should be learning from a young age. So children in, the, in school should be learning about the brain, how the brain works, brain development, about the frontal, prefrontal cortex, the thinking brain, about the amygdala, where if we go into the amygdala, our little brain there, that stress response, that's when we lose control of emotions. So learning about the brain, learning about emotions, empathy, these are skills that we should be learning in school so children learn how to get along with one another, how to express their emotions, how to make sense of what's going on at home. Because when we have 20 kids in a classroom, hmm. we often forget that they're not, it's just not, it's not just the classroom. It's 20 kids with 20 individual lives, with 20 individual stories, with 20 homes that are different. And we just shuffle kids to school. And I think we forget that there's so many different components and there's so much going on in these children's lives outside of school. And children aren't going to be able to learn if they're not learning about what's going on within themselves. And I think that would be where I would start is changing and talking about all that stuff, talking about communication, connection, all these strategies of that children need to, to thrive. In the past, uh, in the villages, everybody was raising the children and the children belong to everybody. But in today's society, children is only belongs to the family. And I think it's a, it's a good approach to start seeing all the children as our children. What do you think about mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think there's something to be said there. I think we've become a society where, we, where we're so worried about other people and that we often think people are bad instead of good is what happens, for lack of better words. We have this perception now. I, th I think it's because, I guess, with social media and stuff, we see all the stuff in the world, so we feel like there's just everyone out there is going to hurt our children or this or that. So we almost feel like we have to protect them and keep them home. Um, but I think it's good for children to have multiple experiences with multiple adults mm -hmm. and, and to learn how to get along with people and to realize that a lot of people have different personalities and to learn how to put boundaries in place for themselves. If someone says something or does something that they don't like and all these interactions and having more people involved family wise and stuff. But I think what happens with families is that our families become divided. So we don't even want our siblings or our parents to be around our children much because we, because we haven't resolved our issues. So I think that there's something to be said about the village, but I think it starts with repair and repairing your relationships that you may have with your siblings or your parents so that you guys don't have any stuff that is being picked up by the children. Once again, the kids, if you're having a family dinner and everyone's arguing and insulting each other, what is your child what is your child absorbing about family? They're, they're thinking a family is dysfunctional, that a family causes pain. Yeah, and it happens so often, so often. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot, lots of people struggle in their everyday life, family life, work life. I really uh, do think so. Why people don't look for solutions and how to inspire people to start looking for solutions and improve their life. Yeah, I think that to me, uh, I talked to my partner a lot. She's a helping professional. She's a therapist. We've been talking for years about what separates someone who seeks help and support and someone who doesn't. And often I think it, it comes down to the belief in ourselves. Do we deserve it? Do we deserve a better life? Do we deserve better relationships? And if we don't feel good about ourselves, we almost just stay in the dysfunction and in, in the problems. And we just vent about the problems opposed to moving on to the next step, which is recognizing I have some serious problems. This is causing me a lot of emotional pain. How can I solve this? How can I take the energy I'm spending on being angry and take that energy and put it into solutions? Um, and I think it comes down to believing that change is possible, believing that you deserve better, not staying in toxic relationships, separating yourself from friends or family that aren't benefiting you, that are aren't bringing out the best of you, and working on yourself and that's where i think people need to focus on their energy on solutions so like i have a parenting group on facebook for example a lot of facebook groups i go into i see parents are just renting venting and ranting about their children and how they do this and that in my group i say it's okay tell uh, to express your problems but once you express your problem then we're focusing on solutions we're, we don't need to keep talking about what they did or what they said what we're going to focus on the solutions and what you can control. What's the name of your parenting group? Uh, par powerful Parenting, Connecting and Building Relationships with Our Kids. Okay, so if you want to join that group and speak with Michael Larson, you have all the links in the description, guys. Mm -hmm. uh, I really like what you're saying. I re it really resonates and I learned a lot. But if you are able to tell someone who would otherwise never hear what you have to say about effective parenting, what would you tell them today? I want people to know that there's no such thing as a bad parent and there's no such thing as a bad kid. Uh, what there is, is a lack of knowledge, a lack of skills, a lack of techniques, 
And, and what we need to realize is there's problems and issues that exist, but it's not the parent's fault or the kid's fault. But the parent and kid can work together effectively to remove the problems and issues that are causing strain on the parent-child relationship. So it, it looks like you've been interested into this child-parent relationship. You've been interested into helping children from an early age. Uh, what do you think made you the person from your childhood that made you this person who would like to help others instead of blaming others? Mm -hmm. Well, for me, it was a transformation. Um, I had um, my childhood was uh, not great. It wasn't terrible. It was ups and down like lots. I had parents who loved me, supported me, but they made mistakes. They were doing the best they can. And then I entered teen years and I had some stuff happen that made me angry, that hurt me. And I went into a stage where I was emotionally kind of shut off and I ended up getting into fights and different things and struggling. Um, when I look back at my child, struggling because I was hurt and I was angry. I didn't know what to do with it. Nobody was teaching me. No one was telling me what to do with this stuff. So people just thought I was just whatever else. And I ended up with drugs and alcohol, some stuff. And then all of a sudden when I went, as I got older and I was going to university and I was receiving knowledge about things about the brain, then I started working with other kids what I realized in the beginning was I was trying to heal myself through through these through these children and um, this is in my early 20s um, and then I realized that is where the power lies is like if if you can work on yourself and also work to serve others or work towards something that makes you feel good you can start to change and then I started feeling better about myself and all of a sudden I realized I let go of the anger I let go of the need to use drugs and alcohol I wasn't feeling like I was getting into verbal fights or physical fights anymore with anybody. And I just started changing. And then I, it, then I had this like kind of aha moment that this is beautiful that, you know, all of a sudden I, I was on this negative path, but then all of a sudden I just turned by myself down a positive path. Um, so then I thought, okay, so then, yeah, that's where I realized that this is what I want to do. I want to spend my life journeying down here and learning about the brain, learning about emotions, learning about human behavior. And why does somebody do something? So basically you managed to transform yourself from a very bad place. Yeah. And then as I got older, I hit some more struggles in life. Uh, my, my, my dad got ill and he passed away and, and I ended up getting divorced. So I had some major transitions. And through that experience, once again, um, I learned from it. Uh, it was, I learned from those experiences and where I went, like what life is all about. Uh, and I had some physical health issues from stress. And I learned what happens when you don't take care of your body. Um, so my personal life experiences, just all they did ended up doing was they supported my professional experiences working with children and family. And the professional experiences supported my personal experiences. Great. I, I really enjoyed this talk. And thank you, Michael, for being with us today. I have learned a lot how to communicate with my children. And I'm sure our listeners have too. I think you have a unique approach with children and things that you have created through the years of self-learning and practice. Uh, I wish you reach many people and help them overcome the struggles they have with their children. And if you want to get in touch with Michael, all the links are in the description. Thank you for this call. Thank you so awesome. much. Thank you so much. And I enjoyed this very much. Thanks.